Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 18. We have been working our way through the book of Exodus this fall, and uh, after all we've seen to this point, Exodus 18 may, may seem a little bit dull in terms of action. Uh, you think about all that's happened in Exodus from uh, the conquering of Egypt to the mighty plagues and all the miraculous things we saw there, the parting of the Red Sea. We've come to a passage where basically Moses is going to reunite with his family and get some advice from his father-in-law. And it's kind of a tranquil scene compared to what we've seen, but I think it comes at a pretty good time. I mean, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, after many of us have spent the weekend with extended family. Uh, some of you labored through Carolina Clemson last night and divided households. And so uh, maybe we could use a glimpse of a healthy kind of peaceful family this morning. So that's what we're going to see here in Exodus 18. Uh, Jethro, I'm going to read the passage in just a moment, but Jethro is Moses's father-in-law. And uh, he has Moses' wife and kids, and he's, he brings them to Moses to meet them. They're going to reunite. And then we're going to see Moses minister to his father-in-law. Then we're going to see his father-in-law give some advice to Moses. But there's something bigger going on here than just the interaction between these two guys. And I, I want to make sure we see that this morning. Often, if you've ever heard a sermon on Exodus 18 or if you've seen it referenced in books, it's, it's often treated almost like kind of a modern leadership book. You know, this is how to delegate. This is how to organize things. And there's some wisdom here for that kind of task. But I think there's a lot more for us as well, because what we're going to see here is kind of a setting of the stage for what's to come. That the God who has rescued his people is preparing them for what he's about to do next. He's not just the God who rescues, but as, as we'll see after the first of the year when we return to Exodus, he's also the God who renews. He rebuilds, he restores his people. And he's going to kind of set the stage for that in what happens here in Exodus. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to look at the whole chapter, but I'm going to read beginning in verse 7. And after Moses and Jethro have, have come together. So beginning in verse 7, would you read with me? Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. And he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law that the Lord, what the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done for Israel and all that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And the next day Moses set to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You were not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. 
You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace." So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn what we may from this passage today. We thank you for uh, giving us your word that guides us and instructs us in how to live in a way that honors you. And we pray that you would help us now uh, to study this and, and to learn what we can from it, what we would need to go into our world, uh, even this week, uh, even among our families, among our friends and testify to your greatness, and testify to who you are and all you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So the chapter here divides really into two scenes, Moses serving his father-in-law, and then Jethro, the father-in-law, serving Moses. And when you see the two of them together, you see kind of a nice picture here. They seem to have a healthy, sort of balanced relationship. I mean, uh, just by way of recap, remember uh, Moses met Jethro uh, when he was fleeing Egypt. He ended up in that place called Midian. That's where he met Jethro. He began to work for him, eventually married his daughter Zipporah, and he lived there for some 40 years. So they've spent a lot of time together. Uh, when Moses came back to Egypt uh, to confront Pharaoh and follow the call of God, he originally brought his wife and one son at the time with him. Uh, at some point, they had another son, and at some point, Moses sent his wife and two kids back to Midian to be with his father-in-law, probably for their protection, you know, as things were getting kind of intense there in Egypt. Uh, but now they're all coming together. Jethro has, has done his part. He brings them in. Moses shows him honor. They're glad to see each other. But the real kind of climax of the scene comes in verse 8, where it says, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. So it's kind of a cool scene to think about. And you think about, especially those of you that have been here this fall as we've been walking through Exodus, we've seen these different events play out. Think about the opportunity to hear these stories from the mouth of Moses in this really comfortable setting with his own father-in-law. You know how it is when families get together? Pardon me. Uh, you know how it is when families get together and you're telling stories and you're comfortable and you're with people you know well. And, and here's Moses and he's recapping all that he's seen. He, he, the last time he had seen him was when they exited Midian. And he took this guy's daughter and this guy's grandson and he left. And he said, I'm, I'm on my way by call of my God to confront the most powerful man on the planet. Right? And now they're back together, and Moses is telling him all that Yahweh has done for him, all that God has done for his people. And it makes an incredible impact on Jethro. You see it there in verse 10. And as you're reading these words, just remember Jethro was a Midianite priest. So he was a, a pagan priest. He was not an Israelite. Uh, he would not have been sort of steeped in the ways of, of Yahweh prior to this moment. And yet Jethro says in verse 10, Blessed be the Lord... Blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then he goes on in verse 11. Now I know 
that the Lord is greater than all the gods. That's quite a statement. I mean, in our context, imagine that you married the daughter. If you're a guy, imagine you married the daughter of a Muslim imam. And you sit down with your father-in-law over Thanksgiving and you say, can I tell you all that Jesus has done in my life? And he responds and says, wow, now I know that Jesus is greater than all the gods. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's happening here in this scene. It's, it's amazing to, to think about the, the transformation that's happening in Jethro's mind as he recognizes your God, Moses, this God, Yahweh, the one whom you call God, he's greater than all the gods. And as we see that scene this morning, the thing I really want us to focus on this morning as we think about it is, do we believe that this could happen in our own families? So I don't know about you guys, but I've found that ministering to your, your family can sometimes be the hardest people to minister to. Family relationships can be difficult. Uh, it can be hard to, to figure out what those lines look like, particularly if you're uh, the, the children ministering you know, sort of up the family tree toward parents or grandparents or in-laws. It can be hard to figure out what those uh, relational dynamics ought to look like and, and how to share these kinds of things. But I think we can see some pretty cool stuff here in this scene. I want to just point out a couple things. But before I do, I just want to mention, uh, as I read this, there's, a, there's somebody that I always think of when I read this story, and you'll understand why. Um, I always think of my father-in-law. Uh, my father-in-law, his name is, is Wayne, and... Um, when Sha and I first started dating and, and I first got to know Wayne, uh, I, I used to, to tell my friends that he was, he was like the nicest non-Christian I knew. <laughs> he was just a really good guy. Uh, he was a man of integrity. He, was, he had been a great dad to my wife, uh, to Cheyenne. He, had, he was a, a good husband and he'd just do anything in the world for you. But he didn't know the Lord and, and he, he was not a believer and, and he knew that. And so for years, my wife and I prayed for him. And for years, we sought opportunities to, to reach out to him and to speak truth to him and to, to try to uh, help him see what was missing in his life. And a few years ago, at the age of 60, he came to Christ. 60 years old. And I, I'll be honest with you, I know very few people in their 60s who have come to Christ. Uh, but my father-in-law at the age of 60 came to know the Lord. And it's just a reminder to me that like, when we read stuff like this, it, this isn't just something that happened a long time ago and has nothing to do with us because we don't live in Midian and we don't know these people. This could be our story. This could be your story. The people you're, you're praying for, the people you just spent Thanksgiving with, even the ones that were a little hard to spend Thanksgiving with. This could be their story. So I want to tell you a little bit more about my father-in-law, but I want to mention just two things I see in this passage that I think we can find generally helpful as we think about ministering to others. The, the first thing when you see the relationship with Moses and Jethro is they really had a healthy relationship. That was kind of the foundation of what followed. And I think it's a good reminder to us as believers that we have to be good stewards of our relationships, particularly those in our family. And so as Christians, that means sometimes as the believer, you may need to lose. You may need to lose the argument. You may need to let the other side sort of get the best of things, so to speak. Uh, because for us, there's just much, much more at stake. I mean, we need to be the ones who are first to forgive. We need to overlook offenses. We need to extend mercy. And we need to be willing to do whatever we can to minister to those that God has placed around us. 
I know for my father-in-law, um, there were years where we were just trying all these things to, to just get some intentional time with him to kind of talk about his relationship with God. My, my mother-in-law came to, to Christ uh, when we were in college, and then she went to church for about 15 years by herself. And, and so during this time, she's grown in her faith, and then her daughter marries a guy who becomes a pastor, and the three of us are all kind of scheming <laughs> about Wayne. You know, how can we get some time uh, with me and Wayne alone to talk, right? Um, and so we would always kind of hatch these plans. And, and funny enough, one of the things we did every year, um, I don't know if you'll ever listen to this and catch on to what we're up to, but uh, it, was, it was on Black Friday. So we would go home for Thanksgiving. Uh, we'd, we'd stay at my in-laws uh, Thanksgiving night. Shy and her sister and mom would get up really early and go shopping, and that left me and Wayne and the Thanksgiving leftovers at home all day, right? And so that was always like this time that uh, Shy and I and, and Kay, my mother-in-law, we would pray that God would give us, would give me an opportunity to talk to him that day. And it was the craziest thing. It was like every year something happened. I mean, you know, one of the neighbors came by one year and like needed his help with something, and he's just gone all day. And Shy gets back and was like, "How was it?" I'm like, "Well, it's fine. I sat here and watched TV by myself, you know." And then, you know, other years, you know, something else would happen. But it was just like year after year, uh, we just couldn't find these sort of perfect moments. But what we did find, and I'm not by any means trying to say we did all this perfectly, but what we did find was even though we couldn't find these sort of perfect conversations when it made sense to say all the right things. What we did find is, is that we could be good to him. We could be faithful to him. I found over time perhaps my, the best way I could minister to him was to be a good son-in-law to him and to be a good husband to his wife. No, wait, uh, uh, sorry. Um, I messed that up bad. Uh, gosh, I really hope he never listens to this now. Um, so, in my mind, I'm just trying to pronounce Moses and Jethro right. I'm assuming I can get my father-in-law's relationship to me and my... Uh, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. So Cheyenne, my name is Matt. Um, I married a wonderful girl named Cheyenne. Uh, her stepdad's name is Wayne. His wife's name is Kay. I don't want to be a good husband to Kay. Um, how, you, you guys just want to move on to the next point? Let's just move on to the next point. I don't even remember where that was going. Uh, I, th I think what I was attempting to say was the benefit of building a good uh, foundation, you know, a good relationship there. You guys just nod your head. Act like you understand. Uh, act like you remember what I was talking about. Um, so Moses had a good relationship with Jethro, right? He showed him honor. They cared for one another. That was kind of the foundation of what happened. But then the second thing is Moses tells Jethro what God has done for him, right? And that it's, it's kind of cool that he doesn't actually describe it all. He doesn't kind of go through this detailed story of exactly how we're to share the gospel from the book of Exodus. It's just very simple. He just told Jethro, his father-in-law, what God had done for him and his people. And I think the actual substance of the conversation, as I imagine, it was just pretty natural. You know, they're kind of catching up and how are things and what's been going on with you and <laughs> Let me tell you what's been going on with me. Listen to what the Lord has done. And Moses just starts spilling all this stuff. And, and you can imagine Jethro, who's this, this pagan priest, who's, who's in some kind of ancient religion that would have relied heavily on his works. And Moses tells him this story that is basically, listen to what Yahweh has done for us. Not what we did for him. I mean, we messed it up several times, actually. We've been, my people have been grumbling and trying to overthrow me and all this, but listen to what Yahweh has done 
for me. And you can imagine how those words would have landed on the weary ears of a guy like Jethro who's been in this pagan religion where he's trying to earn his way to God all the time. And it just reminds me that I think sometimes we overcomplicate evangelism. You know, we think about sharing the gospel with our friends and family. I mean, there is a place for apologetics. There's a place for winsome responses and, and studying and being prepared to give an answer in season and out of season and things like that. But, but sometimes I think we, we let all that stuff kind of psych us out and, and we forget that perhaps our strongest tool is to just tell other people what God has done for us. And you don't have to really rehearse that so much. You don't have to, you know, iron it out and make sure all the wrinkles are removed. You just tell people what God has done for you. And I think that's some of what you see here in this passage. And, and I think that's some of what eventually turned my, my father-in-law's heart. Uh, he came to Christ in the spring of uh, 2014. I remember it well because uh, it was the same year of a particular uh uh, kind of magical run in March Madness for my University of Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, I missed one of the greatest shots in UK history because Wayne was getting baptized that afternoon. Uh, bless his church for scheduling that on a Sunday afternoon in March. Um, but it helps me remember it was 2014. It was the Aaron Harrison year, right? So it was spring of 2014, and uh, that obviously wasn't what you know influenced my father-in-law. But some of what did was we had a we had a tough situation in our family. Um, my niece, our niece, was um, she was pregnant, and she found out that the baby in her womb basically had a terminal condition and, and wasn't going to likely live very long. And so uh, Wayne watched her walk through that by faith, and he watched the rest of us pray for her and pray for baby Oakley and try to support her. And, and particularly, he watched my mother-in-law's church. I'm being very careful now. <laughs> he watched my mother-in-law's church support her as she tried to care for her granddaughter, whose baby was very sick even before being born. And, and I think, my point is, I think just sort of watching Christians be Christians had a major impact on him. Uh, my father-in-law had, had seen a lot of hypocrisy in his life. And, and so I think, uh, to his credit, I have a lot of respect for this actually, to his credit, he did not want to cross the line into Christianity until he knew he was really going to do it and be serious about it. He had seen too many people kind of be one person on Sunday morning and somebody else the rest of the week. And he just thought, I, I don't want to do that. And so he just resisted it for all those years. And I think something happened in that season as he saw God's people just cry out for help in the midst of a hard time where he realized, one, I'm never going to be strong enough <laughs> to do this on my own. But two, God is here for me. And just like he's done great things for them, he can do great things for me. And I think that's some of what we see here as Moses tells Jethro, listen to what the Lord has done for us. And Jethro says, now I know that your God is greater than all the gods. And it's, a, it's an amazing moment. And I think it, it tells us something about how to minister to others. But there's something bigger going on here that we don't want to miss in terms of what uh, is happening in the book of Exodus. Do you guys remember back in chapter 9 when Moses is talking to Pharaoh and, and he's sort of speaking on behalf of the Lord and he says to Pharaoh, this is why you exist. He says, I will send all my plagues on you so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. That sounds a lot like what Jethro came to conclude. Again, he says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And so 
we talked about as we were going through Exodus, that this wasn't just about getting Moses and Israel out of Egypt. This was about proclaiming something about God over and against the other gods of Egypt and over and, and abundantly beyond the borders of Egypt to every nation on the earth. I mean, last week we saw what happens to a people who continue to oppose Yahweh. The Amalekites are defeated in battle. Here we see what happens when an individual embraces him. All right, when they give up the fight and they turn and repent, mercy rains down on them. And it's a beautiful scene, and it, it's, a, it's a part of what God has been doing from the be very beginning. As you remember, way back in Genesis, when we talked about this in the first sermon in our Exodus study, that God said to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All right, so here we see that happening in the family of Moses, his father-in-law, is now going to go back to Midian with this truth in his head that Yahweh is greater than every God. And that's going to continue to ripple out. That's why how the Israelites live is so significant because they're not just a random nation who got out of a bad situation. They are the people of God and they're representing him to the nations of the world. That's why how we live is so, is so significant. Because as we trust in that offspring of Abraham, Christ, uh, we're still fulfilling that promise that God made to Abram centuries and centuries ago that now through us, every family on the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so Yahweh's rescued his people to make his glory known among the nations, but they're not quite ready to do their part. And that's what the second half of the chapter kind of teaches us because you see, there's still a lot of problems going on in, in Israel, right? And so down about uh, verse 13, it says that Moses, the next day he went out, he sat down, he begins to judge the people. That is, he served as sort of a judiciary uh, leader to them, helping them solve their disputes. And we see that there are lots of problems in the community, right? I mean, some of their issues are external. They've got uh, food shortages and foreign armies and things like that. But some are very much internal. They're disagreeing with each other. They're free from Egypt but they don't know how to be faithful to God. And so they're unclear about the law and how to get along with each other. And Moses thinks he's going to help by sitting down and waiting for them all to come to him and then him dispensing the advice. And Jethro calls him out on it in verse 17. You can look there. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. He <laughs> couldn't have been more clear here. Uh, you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to wear these people out. This is a bad plan that you have here. Uh, and it's a, it's a common trap that many leaders fall into. You see it in churches. You see it in businesses. You see it in organizations. You see it in families. Someone wants to help everyone, so they try to be everything. All right? They try to do it all themselves. I remember I had a, a pastor friend who was a church planner in New York City. And uh, the church I was a part of supported him and the work there. And, and my pastor went to visit him. I'd been up there previously, and he came back. And we were talking about it. And I said, yeah, uh, isn't it cool? All that's happening up there. I mean, people are coming to faith. The church is growing. It's really neat to see all that's happening. And my pastor said to me, yeah, but uh, the guy leading it, he said, he will not be doing it in five years. And I was much younger, and I, I was like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, you won't be doing it in five years. And he said, he is doing absolutely everything, and he will not be doing it in five years. And he was absolutely right. Five years later, 
uh, we had moved on to a different church. Things were, we were at a different stage of life. And I thought, what's, what's going on with that church up there? I wonder. And I looked it up. The church no longer existed. And the pastor was no longer in ministry. He had absolutely burned himself out. And he was a great guy, a, a godly man. He loved the Lord. But he failed to implement some of the wisdom that Jethro passes on to Moses here. Uh, this idea that you need to share the load with others. And you can kind of look at the details of that, verse 19 through 23. Uh, what Jethro is suggesting here is, is not that Moses stop leading. He's, he's trying to change the way he leads, right? So instead of trying to lead by doing it all, you need to train up some people and you need to share the load with them. And it's kind of a faint picture of what we see worked out in the New Testament with like a plurality of elders that is like more than one pastor leading a church. Um, we're trying here at Midlands, we're trying to train up leaders. We don't want everything to sort of rest on one person, you know, um, that wouldn't be good for that person and it wouldn't be good for the people. It wouldn't be good for any of us. Right. And so we want to share the load of leadership in whatever appropriate ways we can. That's always been God's way. I mean, even now when Moses is on the earth, God puts a person in his life that says, you don't need to do it all. Right. So if you're a leader and you're kind of processing through this this morning, hear that. If Moses couldn't do it all, neither can you. <laughs> and you shouldn't try. It's bad for you and it's bad for the people. Instead, you should try to multiply yourself. And that's what uh, Jethro teaches him to do. I'm not going to go through the details of that, but I, I want to just give you like three basic points of kind of a strategy for multiplying leaders. Uh, basically, Jethro says you need to teach them. You need to train them, and then you need to trust them. That's what has to happen. You got to teach the law. You keep teaching. You keep showing them what it means to be faithful to God. But then you need to train some people. He, he says specifically to Moses, you need to equip some men who are faithful, who are trustworthy. These are moral qualifications. He doesn't necessarily say go get the best and the brightest. He says go get the ones you can trust, right? And so you got to train them up, and then you got to trust them, and that's probably the hardest thing for many leaders is you got to let other people decide some things. They're going to decide the small matters themselves, Jethro says. They'll bring the more complicated stuff to you and you can lead through that. But some of the stuff they're just going to need to sort out on their own. And so Jethro is guiding Moses toward really a, a, a wiser way of leading the people. And there at the end of the chapter, he kind of summarizes uh, the benefits of that begin in verse 23. He talks about how God will direct Moses as Moses walks wisely as a leader. He talks about how Moses will endure. And he says the people will go away at peace. You see, he's saying, this is what you really want, Moses. You, you want to lead the people in a way that they go away at peace. But what you're doing is going to lead to a mess down the road. Do it this way and it'll be far better. So he's, he's helping Moses build a sustainable ministry, really. And I think there are a lot of principles we can learn from that. But again, we kind of stop there. We could think about delegation. We could talk about leadership. But, but I want to sort of step back and remind ourselves, what is God doing in the book of Exodus? And why does this matter? You know, why is this here? Why do we need a, you know, a little primer on delegation in the middle of this book about parting seas and miraculous plagues and, and everything else? Well, I think what is happening is God, in, in giving us the book of Exodus here, he's, he's helping us see that Israel's issues run far deeper than just these external enemies. Right? I mean, Egypt's a thing of the past. That's in their rearview mirror. Pharaoh is gone. 
Their, their master has no hold over them anymore, but they're still a mess. They, they've still got all these fights going on. They still need somebody to mitigate and guide them through that. And even Jethro's organizational scheme is a short-term fix. Moses isn't going to be here forever. And so you read Exodus 18, and even with the plan in place, you kind of walk away and think, this isn't going to cut it forever. This isn't going to work for God's people. And if God really is building himself a people to show his glory to the nations, they're going to need more than this. And then you turn the page to Exodus 19, which we'll do in January, and you read about the giving of the law. Right? So the law now has a place to, to land. Here is a people who don't know how to be faithful to God. They don't know what it means to walk in the way of the Lord. They're going to need something uh, beyond just daily briefings from Moses to guide them forward. And so God in his grace is going to show them how to live. And he's going to meet Moses on Mount Sinai and give him the law. And we'll begin to look at that after uh, the first of the year. But again, this scene for us, I think, reminds us that not only do they need the law, they need something to guide them, but they need a greater rescue. I mean, they've been taken out of Egypt. They're, they're no longer in danger from Pharaoh, but they still have many, many problems. And, and it helps us kind of look ahead to what we're doing next as a church, because next Sunday we'll start our Advent study. And so we do an Advent study here every year where we uh, usually go to a, a place in the Bible that kind of reminds us of some of the Christmas story this year. We're going to go through Matthew 1 and 2. And uh, we put together a, a devotional guide that we'll have ready next week. So you can start with your families or you can read on your own uh, beginning next week. And we'll kind of be walking through this series. We're calling it Dreamers, uh, which is, feels a little random as a Christmas series. But uh, the idea is, you know, when Jesus comes into the earth, he, he really fulfills the dreams of a nation. You know, I mean, these people have been waiting and waiting and waiting. And next week we're going to look at some of that waiting and what it was like all these years between now here in Exodus 19 and uh, the baby being born in Bethlehem. But then also, as God begins to visit his people, he does so in the form of appearing in these dreams, you know, with Mary and Joseph and the wise men and, and things like that. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to look at that in the next month. And it's, I think, going to be a nice fit for us in the midst of Exodus because we've seen God do a great work here in the pages of Exodus. We've seen God do this amazing thing here. But when you get to Exodus 18, there's sort of this letdown because they're kind of still in a lot of need, right? And, that's, and that is good for us to see. It's a good reminder. They needed more than a parted sea and a conquered Pharaoh. They needed a Messiah. The Messiah was on the way, and we're going to celebrate his arrival in the next month. I look forward to doing that with you guys. Uh, well, this morning, as we wrap up, we're going to uh, take communion like we do each Sunday. Uh, here at Midlands. And um, uh, in a moment, I'll pray. The band will come to, to lead us in a song. And uh, after, uh, once the music starts, I want to invite you to uh, the communion tables. They're at the back of the room there. And if you're here with us this morning and you would consider yourself a Christian, if you're following Christ, you're trusting in the Lord, uh, you're hoping in this gospel that we talked about this morning, then we want to invite you to the table to, to celebrate the, the death and resurrection of Christ on our behalf. Uh, if, if you're with us today as a guest and, and you know, came with a family member or something and, and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, maybe you're like my father-in-law and you're just kind of on the outside looking in, 
we're so glad you're here, and, and we're really glad to have you with us. But we'd actually ask you not to participate in this time because this is a time of, of faith. This is a walk of faith for us to get up and go back to that table. We're not just going through the motions. Uh, we're doing this because we believe it really represents something that happened and that not only happened, but has changed our lives. Uh, for, for us as Christians, the communion table represents what the Lord has done for us. Right? Just like Moses told Jethro what the Lord had done for him, the communion table represents what the Lord has done for us. And so uh, if you're with us this morning, you're not a Christian, uh, we just invite you to stay in your seat. Use this time to reflect on the things you've heard. Uh, if today uh, maybe the Lord has worked in your heart and, and opened your eyes to see some things you've never seen before, we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to help you understand what, what the Lord is doing and, and help you make sense of that. But let me, let me pray for us, and then we're going to take communion together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these reminders that you are a God who works in mighty ways. You are the God of nations. As uh, Hart read earlier and we prayed through, uh, the nations are like a drop in a bucket compared to you. You are sovereign over all, and yet you gently lead those who are with young. You are... You are almighty and all-powerful, and yet you're, you're personal. You're right here in the midst of our families, in the midst of our living rooms, and in the midst of Moses and Jethro's tent as they had this conversation years and years ago. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you not only um, write your glory in the heavens, but you also write it on our hearts, and you come to visit each and every one of us uh, in, in the, the gospel story. So I pray, Lord... Uh, for any who are here today who maybe uh, do not uh, know you, who, who have not trusted in you or walking in their own strength and seeking to live life on their own, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. Just like uh, that day years ago uh, when my father-in-law called to tell me that he had trusted Christ. <laughs> I'll never forget the surprise and joy and just... Um, just beauty in that moment as we realize that all those prayers and all those efforts, all those feeble efforts uh, had been blessed by your grace and your goodness. And we pray that you do it again. We pray you do it in our own families. We pray you do it even in our midst today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.